This athletic podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we'll bring you exclusive and original stories and interviews offering agenda-setting insight from inside the game from David and writers from across The Athletic. There is, of course, uh, no football at the moment, still lots of articles and ad-free podcasts uh, published every day via The Athletic. We're recording this on a Monday. We know the Premier League meeting was last Thursday. Do you think, I don't know, from conversations you've had today or over the weekend, there's a there's a change in what people in the game are thinking from last week? Well, we talked last week about the confusion that was reigning. I don't think there's a great deal more clarity. I think now the feeling among those I'm speaking to is more a case of concern, uh, especially given what we've learned from Spain today with an indefinite suspension on the season um, and the absolutely tragic scenes going on in Spain itself, Italy and, of course, in the UK. Football is is being put to the back of most people's minds and rightly so but this is an industry that people are working in that people's livelihoods depend on that supporters are looking for some kind of update on all of the time. So are people inside clubs. Some clubs have got players returning to training in small groups in very carefully um, protected and organised manners um, Clubs are doing loads of initiatives with their communities. Uh, The Premier League uh, has a huge problem on its hands, both logistically, financially. And none of this matters compared to the the grand scheme of things with with the health situation. Um, But it all does need to be sorted out. And uh, the unpredictability of the virus means that it's almost impossible to do that. Uh, Matt Slater, the Athletics Football News and Investigations reporter, joins us as well at the moment and and certainly in in a lot of the stuff that I've been doing and and talking to people Matt um the mood music has been less about you know um validating the competition and satisfying uh the the um relegation issues or promotion issues or who's going to win a title but more about really um people's livelihoods depending on not just football but on sport in general and it's that health of the nation obviously and also the financial responsibility of the game that's where I sense it has moved yeah Mark I, I, I completely agree I think um, I think people have been in shock I mean understandably so <laughs> as we've discussed before this is this is unprecedented that's the sort of cliche about this it's, it's true though um, and I think sport like all other sectors in life is very much feeling its way here um, trying to find that balance between carrying on um there's there's massive implications here that i know we'll get into in a minute about you know the 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 financial side of things um 
and uh, also the fact that people want to be entertained. People, you know, genuinely enjoy sport. It's a, it's an amazing distraction. Um, but then on the same side, you know, having a duty of care to everyone involved in the game, um, and also just getting the the tone right. I think that has been the bit that I have really noticed has changed. I think over the last over the last week, really, that, that particularly in Europe. When Europe became the epicenter of this pandemic and when the numbers and the horrible stories uh, from Italy and Spain started to emerge, and I think we really started to get our heads around, and I'm talking about when I say we here, us in the UK, just just how just how bad this is and how, how strange things are going to be for at least at least two, three, four, five months and potentially longer. Um, that I think those those things all crystallized. And I'll be honest, I, I've, I've, I have seen some genuine, I've witnessed and heard and, and, and talked to people about some genuine leadership and some, 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 some quite refreshing, encouraging things that you know, I've not been able to say for the last year, couple of years really, where different fo- football organizations have, have put aside differences, have put aside agendas, and, and, and I think have, have tried as best they can to think about the bigger picture. So, so it's been a remarkable shift and it's been really quick. But I, but I, was, I was heartened by the succession of meetings and statements. And, and I, think, I think football is being um, responsible and rational at a really, really unusual time. When people are at loggerheads in these sorts of circles, it's very easy to find out as a journalist. You speak to multiple people from all organisations, clubs, officials, executives, agents, um, the governing bodies, and you pick up on this stuff um, very quickly. And Matt's right. On the whole, they're singing from the same hymn sheet um, on this subject which somebody at the PFA described to me as you know the biggest crisis aside from two world wars in in our history and um and bickering and infighting and backstabbing uh would be highly inappropriate at a time like this and it seems thankfully that there's a concerted effort to do the right thing for everybody um let's see how that develops because you know there are competing interests there are of course as we know from our work there's egos at play and as time goes on things will start to become more pressing the finances the need for clarity the 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 resumption of play the transfer window contracts um, money will of course play a part um, with people threatened with going out of business whether it be clubs agents players not being paid um and that that will be the true test because it feels to me that as Matt says everybody's still in a bit of shock and there's a bit of numbness to it all now it's incredibly early you know as we're speaking today's the first day of of kids being off school in England and and people getting their heads around that but as this settles into normal life I wonder how it will develop and you know I've done an interview with Bobby Barnes from the PFA the deputy vice chairman and uh, it's the first time he's spoken on the issue. He's involved in all sorts of bodies, FIFA, UEFA, the World Players Union, FIFA Pro, and, and the, the Players Union here, the PFA. And he's sort of talking about how 
players are now coming round to the idea of playing behind closed doors from those he's spoken to because there is literally no alternative because it's so important to get this season finished at some point. But then as soon as somebody raises points like that, somebody else replies with a, a counter-argument that you shouldn't even be thinking about football when, when people are dying in hospitals and, and at home. So a very, very uh, worrying picture, but at least there is some kind of cordiality among the various interested parties. I, I wonder whether um, a part of this still talking about playing behind closed doors uh, is is financial, and I, I'm not necessarily talking about broadcast deals and TV deals. I'm, I'm talking about, actually, players certainly lower down the leagues. You know, it's, it's all right people suggesting Premier League footballers take a... 50% pay cut or whatever it may be and I know several rugby union clubs and, and players are taking pay cuts but if if you ask a, a lower league two player to take a pay cut that would have an enormous effect on um, his day-to-day -day life and there will be people listening to us at the moment who are freelance or self-employed who, who have lost all income at, at the moment and therefore I do wonder whether talking about you know getting some games on behind closed doors is actually a financial necessity when it comes to PFA being in those meetings because of the players lower down the leagues. I want to sort of be clear on this. A lot of people have been suggesting that us talking about the financial side of it just shows football's greed. And I don't buy that at all. Um, these are inevitable facts to do with this whole industry, to do with this whole world. And yes, they are thinking and talking about the financials of it all but as you say these are livelihoods these are careers this is existences and clubs are part of the community um players staff executives are all of us we're all concerned about the money and the conversations have to be had the idea of going behind closed doors i don't think is because of greed i think it's because th there are some enormous contracts that need to be fulfilled or leagues clubs face potential oblivion and again you might say well that's far less important than death it's true but it has to be discussed um the players at the higher level we can't write them off completely in terms of yes they do have more money than players at the lower level but it's all relative they have their relative outgoings and okay it's not as pressing but we we can't just dismiss that altogether and there's one um, one or two uh, very high-ranking officials at Premier League clubs who are heavily in favour of players taking either a salary cut or, as Bobby Barnes describes it in the interview I did with him, um, wage deferrals. And that's something that has happened at lower league clubs when they've been in crisis and, and the PFA have stepped in to help play payers wages for for a period um but at the lower level yeah it's it's more terrifying and alarming you know matt do you agree that it's not so much greed but more necessity to sort these things out well i've written stories about greed in the past and i you know it's it can be very easy when you're writing particularly let's say a, a club in crisis type story in, in more normal times um and you'll hear you know stories about owners who are trying to strip assets or it's all about the stadium it's a big property play um you know you'll get you you know you'll get the sort of greed angle when you when you sometimes talk about transfers fine right that, that's that's not what this is 
It really isn't. This is a systemic existential shock to the global economy. Now, that is going to have impacts everywhere. Fans, players, communities. Some people might find this distasteful that we're talking about this stuff when people are dying. And I, and I completely get that. And I, and I you know, there's a, there's, I feel a bit uncomfortable about it myself. But, but there is a sort of kind of maxim that life goes on. And we've got to be very careful that, that, that when we emerge from this in a year's time, that we have mitigated and we have minimised the damage because we could be talking about many, many more impacts people with mental health issues because they're struggling with money you know good companies good solid companies that have, that have gone to the wall because of cash flow issues so that's the bigger picture now football sits within that football football is a part of everyday life it's a it's, it's sometimes oh i can't believe i don't like when people talk about football and business they are businesses they're little mini businesses yes i know they mean more to you than most businesses in your area and that i think only for me only increases their 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 importance so i think it is a valid and useful and worthwhile thing to talk about this the 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 financial impacts of this terrible terrible pandemic on 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 the global game and 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 i and i you know i i just don't really understand this 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 sort of concept of, of greed i think from what i hear the leagues, the players, the unions are starting to get around this, this, the table and start to think about, okay, what can we do? Player, player salaries is is an absolute obvious one. It's the it's it's the biggest expense at, at almost every professional club. Can they defer wages? Can they take pay cuts? We've already we know that Hearts have asked their players in the, in the Scottish Premiership to take a fifty percent pay cut, and 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 I think over the weekend Stephen Naismith, their captain, who's who's famous for his charitable work, has already said, yeah, I'll be absolutely fine with that. Football's been good to me. One of the Premier League club executives, I said to him, would you? look to enforce this then if you if you're if you're keen for players to take a pay cut and he said oh no because if the resumption of play comes and they've had their pay dot they're not going to play well for us you know they're going to be down in the dumps and it's a personal choice and this shouldn't be enforced it shouldn't be held against players but as Matt rightly points out it's the key area um that that could save money and from what I'm hearing within the game, it's one of the very uh, top issues that's going to be discussed within the circles of PFA, Premier League, EFL, um, on the European and world scene as well, because those footballers will not have clubs to go to in some cases and earn money from if we don't look at this seriously in, in certain cases and try and find some solutions. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. You go to get started with this service. You go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. You fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, a budget, size and shape in your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist then sends you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up and coming designers you try on everything at home you style it with your other items in your wardrobe you can then pay for what you love and send back the rest for your stylist time you pay a charge of just 10 quid that's deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy and remember you try before you buy at home 
delivery and returns are free both ways and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time because we do the shopping for you and you'll enjoy top styling tips from our experts. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic right now. Stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic. So, um, in, interesting on the, you know, what people should be talking about, what they shouldn't be talking about. And I'm assuming people are, are listening to us because they have subscribed to the podcast before and know the kind of stuff that we discuss. What I, what I have found, actually, is that there has been... Um, certainly from working on the radio side of things where it has been nearly constant news output and I've managed to combine both some of the news output with some football discussion as well. But what is the way that that has moved over the last week has certainly after last Thursday in the Premier League meeting has moved definitely more to how can football help? What is football doing within the community? How are the players helping, such as Wilfred Zaha offering up his properties um, to that are free to NHS staff to be able to be staying near to a hospital that they are working at, or if they have to isolate from their families because of the job that they are doing, then Zaha and his uh, commercial property partner, uh, uh, residential property partner, are opening up those houses for free, and therefore I think um, uh, as well. Uh, Matt, I know, I know you. T- it is difficult when talking about sport in this situation, but the hospitality industry are having to voice their concerns and talk about also what they are doing to help the community. And I view the sport industry in the main to be very similar to that. People fearful for their jobs, people fearful for their community hubs, a restaurant or a football club or whatever it may be, and also what they are trying to do to help in these very strange times. Look, absolutely. I mean, the number of conversations I've had with people who are talking about their sphere of life, their sector of the economy, and saying this will change everything. We have no idea where this is going. Football is is faced with the same uncertainty. You know, I when I talk to people, I I, I think people are grappling with this and and coming at it from different angles. I've been impressed with the with the the sort of exchange of of views so far. It's all been done in a very collegiate way. Um, I mean, you mentioned people like Wilfred Saha, and I and I talked about Naismith. We, we've got dozens of these stories. I was talking to Mark Palios, um, you know, Tranmere Rovers, you know, co-owner, and he was talking about what they're doing, and he's basically going to mobilise his his staff. Uh, he's going to use his kitchens. They're going to get into meals on deal, meals on wheels. I think I, I, I have heard your conversation with Stevenage's his owner. You know, these are not big clubs. These are these are not big wealthy clubs. But he was talking exactly the same way that he was going to use his staff very much as a community asset. They were going to do deliveries for people. They were going to deliver food. They were going to they were going to be there to chat. I think I think what we what what clubs have is they have, most of them, let's say, have a, have a facility, have a good stadium, they have kitchens, they have, they're, they're quite good at logistics, they're quite good at putting things on, um, and they have a real connection, a real tie. I remember sort of a week or so ago, two weeks ago, kind of at the beginning of this, talking to one of the clubs, I really can't remember who it was now. Oh, no, it was Chester. It was Chester. Sixth tier, who have, I think, three members of staff, and the rest are all volunteers. They're, they're a fan-owned club. And they were saying, well, you know, one of the real things that we're really upset about 
about this is we can't do our community schools. We can't do our soccer schools. We can't do our disability soccer school. But they were already thinking, well, okay, so we can't physically do it. But what can we do? Because we because we know we're important to the town and our fans are absolutely vital to us. There's a really strong bond there. What can we do? And they are coming up with ideas all the time. And I think this is being replicated at hundreds of clubs around the country. And I think that's a great response. And I think football can very much play a part in getting us through this and getting us back to something close to normality. Do either of you know, and I'll start with you, David, on how discussions are progressing now. We we know obviously UEFA and FIFA had a meeting last Tuesday. We knew that we know that EFL had their meeting on Wednesday and they announced this fifty million pounds short term relief package, which is really paying paying some of the money up front to 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 these clubs. We know that the Premier League had the meeting on Thursday. Are there I would be surprised if there weren't, but are there daily meetings, discussions conference calls of course rather than meetings um, between the differing authorities or have they all just taken a step back for a little while to see how things progress health-wise over the next week? Yeah there are plenty of meetings going on individuals within clubs and within those bodies um, are exchanging lots of emails the use of applications like Zoom and Microsoft Teams is becoming more and more prevalent within clubs some of them have been saying to me that it's made their um, it's made little impacts on their um, on their ability to meet and discuss ideas. The virus is in control of this situation, and so it's not progressing a great deal. I think the hope of Premier League football returning on what the 30th of April, start of June, is very wishful thinking. People I've spoken to say no chance it could be a lot longer. And as I said earlier, Spain has suspended its football indefinitely. Um there is a complete commitment um, across the board in English football to get this season finished. Um, well, that stems really from UEFA's decision to move Euro 2020 with the intention being that domestic leagues would be finished at some point, whenever that is. Um, some of the the commercial, financial, contractual uh, implications, I can't even get my head round if, if it goes beyond July, August, etc. But there is that uh, possibility there is plenty of modeling going on on ways to finish the seasons um so within the hope that the season finishes so and and by that i mean null and void is off the table pretty much everywhere in in, in english football now um i don't know about other leagues null and void is off the table here um modeling on how you might be able to finish it with the best case scenario being that you play all games but perhaps some alternative um scenarios that that sees i'm i'm hypothesizing here i don't know this for sure playoffs and um various other ways of getting it done um others cancelling or or suspending their leagues will not have a direct impact on the premier league they will make the decision that is right for them now, in their diaries, is still the 3rd of April, a Friday, for the next uh, shareholders meeting. Um, it hasn't been cancelled. I, I don't know if it will go ahead as planned and just be the next update meeting, quite possibly. Um, just shows how quickly things have changed because the, 
top of the agenda for this meeting originally was VAR and how that's going to be um, improved next season. And we were talking about that on a near daily basis before uh, in a way that we're talking about this now, but uh, of course not with the same seriousness. Um, they were going to talk about things like the European leagues and uh, ECA reforms and potential reforms to European competition. But that, of course, is all thrown out the window now. Um as things stand, there's no kind of blanket approach towards training from Premier League from the Premier League towards its clubs. Um, you'll see some cases like Arsenal, who have kept their players off um, in an announcement on Monday. Uh, others who, in drip drab form, are going back. Take West Brom, for example, in the Championship. They've got sort of th- groups of maximum three or four players going in each day for about forty-five minutes to an hour. Um, it's very carefully um, controlled so they'll go in wearing kit um, they'll do a bit of physical training and ball work and then they'll uh, get changed at the end I think and put their training kit in a in a sealed bag take it home wash it wear it in again um, there are some players at the top end of the game very highest level and staff members who have uh, I know who have contracted the virus or at least symptoms and uh, been suffering. But from what I know, all of them are uh, recovering and in a good way. Many of them haven't been publicised. So behind the scenes, this is um, incredibly serious. And the idea that we'll just get back training and and get back to playing matches behind closed doors, while that there may be a will to get it done and to play behind closed doors etc it is so much more complicated than that and yeah these these phone calls these meetings they're taking place but frankly none of them know any better than us what's going to happen you've got scouts i know who are working and getting on with their video work and analysis they don't even know if there'll be a transfer window they don't know what money they'll have to play with just a final one on this, Matt. And and again, as I always say, if you if you don't know, just tell me you don't know. Are UEFA and FIFA now? They had that meeting last week. Are they now standing back and allowing each individual organisation to follow their own lead, depending on the situation within their own country? One of the good things that's come of this is that um, UEFA and FIFA are, are are talking to each other again, and because uh, they've been loggerheads, they've been they've been uh, arguing about various things to do with the the calendar and various competitions that they want to launch, and and really just a sort of old fashioned uh, um, scrap for for power and money. Um, you know, thankfully something bigger comes along, and um, you know. Minds are focused, and we all put everything in perspective, and they're cracking on and and and, and showing some leadership. Um, there is a, I think, there's a real concern. Well, if you let everybody do their own thing, there, there there is the potential, obviously, for chaos because we are talking about, let's say, from the UEFA point of view, European club competitions. I think twelve of the sixteen Europa League and Champions League ties are are um, at the last sixteen level are, are unfinished, and of course. That is part of the fixture conversation, isn't it? There is a you know, very clear desire to finish the domestic leagues, but equally to finish the European club competitions. You know, lots of ideas around that. Do we go single tie legs? Do we go with a sort of final four style competitions for Europa League and and uh, Champions League at the at the final destinations? Gdansk for the Europa League, Istanbul for the Champions League. That could be quite exciting, couldn't it? I mean, that would be quite a nice way of finishing it. Is it feasible? Is it possible? Do you bring people in? What do you do for the one-leg ties? Is that, is that a neutral venue? Lots of conversations. 
And I think someone's got to be kind of in charge of that. I mean, to go back to your early question about are there daily meetings, there are daily conversations and there's lots of various working groups set up. And I think one of the, the key things that were announced last week by UEFA, kind of at the bottom, where they've set up these two working groups, which all the key people are now feeding into. One is about the fixture chaos. How do we get through this? When do we restart? How do we restart? How do we fit it all in? And the other one, I think, is, of course, the the financial implications, which we were talking about earlier as well. So working groups are ongoing. They are, by getting out of the way, as you as you framed it, by getting the Euros out of the way, by getting the women's Euros out of the way, by getting the under-21s competition out of the way, they've cleared the summer. And they've said to the domestic leagues, you have priority, you finish, we'll finish our club competitions as well, our European club competitions. At the same time, Combabol, who's UEFA's equivalent in South America, they moved their Copa America. They moved their South American tournament a year back. At the moment, Combabol and UEFA are very, very pally. So that was no real surprise. Uh, the African Football Confederation, which are, are very tight to FIFA because FIFA's effectively been running them for a while, they moved their African Nations Cup, which is known as CHAN. That's the it's the African tournament for players based in Africa. It, it, it alternates with the... Um, African Cup of Nations. So they've moved that as well. So the confederations have moved out of that summer space and they've given it to domestic leagues. But someone does actually have to have oversight there because, you know, it was suggested at one point, I think, a couple of weeks ago, this is all touching wood. This is all this is all caveated with, you know, we, we hope that the countries that are in the thick of it now I'm obviously thinking about Italy and Spain, will, be, will hopefully be coming out of it sooner. So do they restart sooner? Well, we've all got to get to the same endpoint, haven't we? That's, I think, the key thing here. We've all got to finish and then have a little mini break and start again. And I think that's just, that's just what UEFA and FIFA have to be mindful of. And they are, from what I hear, just making sure that everyone gets what they need to do, which is finish their domestic competitions in that coherent manner to hopefully satisfy as many contracts as they can. Not going to satisfy all of them. And that everyone agrees to sort of, you know, lose a little bit, but we're all going to lose a bit equally and together. So hopefully we're not going to destroy businesses so that, you know, we can all carry on as as, as per normal. Um, and I think, I think, as I say, FIFA have ultimate oversight of the global calendar. And they, you know, I think what they've said so far has been helpful. They've talked about maybe setting up a global assistance fund. They have the biggest cash reserves, but then again, also I suppose they also have the biggest overheads. They have the, you know, that that cash is supposed to be distributed around the world. So, 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 it's complicated. But I, I do believe that the key players here are behaving well at the moment and doing the best they can. Do you like beer? Do you like free? Well, how about, and you may have guessed this, free beer. As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash footy and cover just the postage of £4.95. You've got to pay the postage. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's basically 10 free beers. 
Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small-batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. So no surprise, then, that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are passionate about the UK craft beer scene. And the beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive. And a beery snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. If you don't like dark beers, choose the light plan. It's easy. All you've got to do, go to www.beer52.com footy to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Ornstein and Chapman podcast listeners get two extra free beers. Well, thank you very much to Matt for that. We're going to do one more story on this podcast and it centres around Ronaldinho because you may have seen the story that uh, he has been in prison in Paraguay. Jack Lang has written about this for The Athletic. Just explain what has happened here then, Jack. Ronaldinho was heading to, to Paraguay with his brother, who is also his agent, at the start of the month to, to do some publicity uh, firstly, for a book he has written, or <laughs> a book that has his name on it. Uh, secondly, to to make an appearance at a casino, and also to to do a public appearance for a uh, kind of non-profit charity he works for in Paraguay. Uh, he got through the border check, but a policeman on the border noted a, a slight uh, discrepancy with his documents. It was later checked out and he was taken into custody it, it turns out he was using uh, a fake falsified passport a paraguayan passport uh, obviously he's not a paraguayan citizen one of the ironies here is that brazilian nationals don't actually need to use a passport to move over that border due to a, a mercosul agreement uh, obviously embarrassing in the first instance and it seems to just be developing as we go really he's still in prison he can be held before facing trial on this for for up to six months, and there's no sign at the moment that this will be a this will be a short thing. It's looking like it could ramble on because his business associates uh, are being investigated by the Paraguayan uh, courts. His brother is in there with him, and. Yeah, it, it looks like it's going to get bigger before it goes away. The reaction in the main on social media has been, oh, look, Ronaldinho's in prison having used a fake Paraguayan passport. But as you write, this this is a tragedy, not a comedy. Yeah, I think so. I think in two respects, really. Firstly, because obviously he's a player who is, is really beloved from those around, all around the world, really. He, he's, you know, his, his name will always elicit a smile from anyone who watched him play football, myself included. And mm. it's tragic just, just to see someone in that position, you know, someone who gave so much pleasure to so many people. I think it's naturally sad to see him, uh, well, especially someone who, who played with so much freedom now, having his freedom taken away. But on, on a deeper level, I think it's a tragedy because uh, just because of the way he's acted, because of, what, how I see it is a case of diminished responsibility. He's someone who 
who always allowed his brother, who was himself a professional footballer, you know, his brother has basically taken care of the the business and the money side of his career for for a large portion of his life, really. Honajinho's father passed away when he was eight. That left a kind of a, a big gap in the family, and and his brother filled that. His brother was was an idol to to Honajinho. He was he came through the Gremio youth team before Honajinho. He was a great footballer in his own right. Did play in Europe, and Honajinho, to me at least, has always seemed to have a, this kind of starry-eyed respect and love for his brother that has perhaps clouded his judgment when it comes to their their business dealings. So since retiring, Honajinho's lent his name and his face to all of these uh, commercial link-ups. And obviously, all former footballers have adverts and they endorse things, but they're usually a fairly, fairly decent standard of product, or at least something that is known to people, whereas Honojinos have been for random mobile games, for, for apps, mm. for investment platforms, for uh, investment opportunities, a lot of which have subsequently come in for a bit of scrutiny. There was there was one that was essentially unveiled as a, a pyramid scheme in Brazil that had his name on it. He's, he's been sued for that. There was another one, that, that kind of an, an investment platform that has been suspended for anomalies in their accounts so all of these things kind of built up over time to a picture of not necessarily uh, you know illegal activity but certainly the kinds of the kinds of endorsements that didn't really add much to his legacy and made him look a little bit low rent in my opinion and now of course there's this nor you know this isn't even the first time he's had passport issues as i wrote in the piece he was kind of got involved in uh, a dispute with uh, Rio Grande do Sul, which is his, his home state, their government, he and his brother, without getting planning permission, added a, a 70 metre long pier to a to one of their properties, which is in an area of environmental protection and was was given a massive fine for that, which he never paid. That later, you know, after after years of them chasing this, this fine, resulted in, in his Brazilian passport being confiscated. So, yeah, it all adds up to a, a fairly ignominious picture, I think. And if you've been watching all this, if you've been monitoring his, his post-football activities, I don't think this, this Paraguayan thing comes as, as a massive shock. But, of course, it is a real shame. Jack, I was just wondering why he didn't use his Brazilian passport if he, if he didn't need the Paraguayan passport. Was it to do with that second indiscretion? What? To my knowledge, I, I think his Brazilian passport has been reinstated now because he well, he was named as a, a tourism ambassador by the, the Bolsonaro government uh, just, I think that was last year or the year before. So to my knowledge, he's he is free to, to travel at the moment. Uh, I'm not really sure why he's used it. That, that is part of the, the bizarreness of this story is that, well, firstly, he didn't need to use a passport at all. Um, and... As far as the the Brazilian press have been able to establish, he was just kind of handed this. He he and his brother were were handed these passports by by a fixer who was kind of looking over their their trip to Paraguay. And it seems to me like they they didn't really question it. They handed them over and were later pretty surprised to find it was an issue. Um, I think that that will play into the, the next parts of the story. So the person who arranged their trip to Paraguay, a lady called uh, Dalia Lopez, who is uh, 
a kind of a business associate of the the two of them and was behind the the non-for-profit organization that they were going to visit she there's now a, a summons out for her arrest in paraguay she's suspected of money laundering and that there's a suggestion that this trip uh, had something to do with that at the time you know now we're talking there's there's no implication that Honolulu and his brother have done anything apart from using those passports that is what they are that is what they are being held for principally but it looks like this investigation is going to get quite big 15 people have been been arrested in association with the the money laundering angle and yeah, I mean, for now, it's the passports that are that are being held against on Algeria. But yeah, who knows where it could go next? This is absolutely incredible because when you think of star names who have f- suffered falls from grace, it often uh, revolves around addictions or gambling, alcohol. Um, you think to somebody like Paul Gascoigne and struggles like that. But Ronaldinho seems to have been in the public consciousness fairly recently he he goes to a lot of events and is seen at major tournaments and quite a high media profile i think to many people listening to this this will come as a complete shock what on earth has happened yeah i think that's that's right he, he's someone who has maintained uh, a fairly a fairly visible presence as you say i think uh, a lot of that has to do with the the goodwill that people attribute to him from his playing days i think that that blinds people in my view to to some of the you know the, the stranger associations he's had over the last few years and of course a lot of these are really limited to to south america it's not like he's he's hawking these products in europe so i think there, there's a slight uh there's a slight disjunct there between how he is viewed in in Europe and how he's viewed in South America. In Europe, of course, you know he's he's Barcelona's ambassador. He does he does Champions League events. So these are all all fairly high class, you know, glitzy glitzy types of affairs. Whereas all of these product endorsements are for South American Brazilian products, and perhaps that side of things hasn't really filtered through over here. Which, which I, I suppose that's fair enough. You know, people there's no reason for people to be digging through. Uh, Ronaldinho's commercial interests but yeah I think certainly for those in Brazil who have been been watching this and maybe maybe had heard of the the passport stuff in the past the the Brazilian passport affair maybe it's less surprising for for Brazilians just a far just a final one on it do you think he's do you think he's a vulnerable in individual or do you think at times he has been a privileged individual who has thought he could get away with whatever he wanted to um well without without being able to call on too many personal interactions with him i, I interviewed him once during a during a mm. trip to mexico city and he was he was really personal he was really you know he i wrote in the piece that he kind of shuffled into the room looking a little bit dazed but the minute the camera was on he was he was a really engaging character and i think i think he has that personal charm and i think there is there is certainly an element of of him being indulged over the years based on that charm based on what he was able to do on the pitch like even you know his his kind of nocturnal famed nocturnal activities were were indulged uh, even his peak in barcelona really and that was certainly true as as his fitness and his physique diminished over the years i think people maintained this position oh you know it's that's just what hanojinho is like 
let, let him do that side of things and he'll still produce on the pitch. So I think there has been some amount of indulgement of him. Whether, whether or not he is a vulnerable individual, I think I don't think he's necessarily the, the most switched on person. I think he is, he is guided by other people. In, in his interactions with his brother, um, I think a lot of people in Brazil see, see his brother as kind of a, a puppet master figure almost. Um, he, this dates back just to, to his time playing, Honorginho's time playing. When, when he was leaving Europe, when he was leaving Milan to come back to Brazil, it was all set up that he was going to come back to Grêmio, his childhood club. This was seen as like a, a glorious homecoming. Grêmio had even, had even arranged like, you know, a big speaker system to, to play music and to help announce his, his return home at the stadium. They're expecting a, a full stadium for Honorginho's return. And then his brother kind of at the last minute I think swayed by a slightly bigger offer from Flamengo kind of pulled the rug on this deal. And that really, I think, rung a few alarm bells because it essentially meant that Honorginho was, was not welcome in his home state. Like he'd left Gremio under a cloud the first time to go to Europe, to go to Paris Saint-Germain. And, and this really turned him into enemy of the state. And I think a lot of people looked at that decision and thought, well, would, would the extra money that Honorginho was going to earn at Flamengo really outweigh the the love and the the adulation he would have received for, for going back to his hometown club well thank you to jack and that's it for this week make sure you subscribe to the athletic to read in full all the articles from jack and david and matt and our team of writers uh, from across the grid loads of articles out there even though there isn't any football being played well as all the information on the latest with COVID-19 if you want some escapism then Danny Taylor has got a couple of great articles on there on Brian Clough and Sir Alex Ferguson there are also long reads on the rise of Erling Haaland Uh, the Athletic are rebooting the 98-99 season so all of that continues all of our podcasts are there as well they're completely free that's it for this week stay safe and thanks very much for listening thank you (laughs) 